Welcome to Bible study. This is Nick Rita, your host. I'm very happy to be with you again today. Thank you for tuning in. Today we're starting a brand new series looking into the Bible. One of the books of the Old Testament, Deuteronomist. And I'll invite you to stay tuned with us and to follow with us for the next programs because this will be quite linked together. I'd like to welcome our panel for today. Hello to Will. Good to have you with us, Will. Thank you, Nick. Deuteronomy is sometimes a sideline book, so I think uh, I'll learn a lot from the panel. Hmm. And Ken, thank you for joining. Thank you, Nick. Wonderful to be here again. Joe, good to have you with us. Great to be with the gang again tonight, this um, this day. And Lydia, thank you for joining also. Always being very glad. Len, you are uh, preparing this uh, study for today, facilitating. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for the welcome, as always, and hello, listeners. As I said, um, Len, it's a very uh, interesting discussion, looking at one of the books of the Old Testament, the fifth uh, book written by Moses. Would you like to take us through and uh, just uh, introduce to our uh, listeners and to the panel uh, the study? Well, as Nick has already suggested, today is the first of some new studies, this time stemming from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, the fifth of the Pentateuch. Deuteronomy is a portfolio word made from two other words from the Greek, Deuteros, which means second, and nomos, which means law. Translated into English, that means the second book of the law. The setting of this book is that after 40 years of wanderings in the wilderness, the Israelites were about to enter the land God promised them, Canaan. Moses was giving the people final instructions before they crossed the Jordan River. Now, chapters 1 to 30 of the book consist of three sermons or speeches delivered to the Israelites by Moses. The first sermon recounts the 40 years of wilderness wanderings which had led to that moment and ends with an exhortation to observe the law. The second sermon reminds the Israelites of the need to follow God and the laws or teachings he's given them, on which their possession of the land depends. And the third sermon offers the comfort that even should Israel prove unfaithful, and so lose the land, with repentance, all can be restored. Now, given the current state of the world and the soon coming of Jesus, the messages conveyed to the Israelites back then have relevance to our times. And we hope that you will receive many insights and blessings as we share this special book with you over the ensuing weeks. However, before we do this, we're going to invite the Lord's presence 
with us and with you, and Will is going to lead us in prayer. We seek your guidance and inspiration, Lord, as to understand what we need to learn today. We admit that our perspective is very limited, both on biblical history and the way that you are leading a divinely appointed people to represent you in this world. Please also include us in your plan. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Yes, thank you, Will. So this week, we'll consider some of the history of God's people leading up to the time of the writing of the book of Deuteronomy. Well, we're going to start on something with regard to the nature of God. And Ken, what would you say about the nature of God? Well, Len, I would say that God's nature is an amazing love for all mankind. This is revealed time after time in the Bible. And if you study the Bible, you'll see God's love and patience towards man from the very beginning right up to our day. Also, there are many scriptures that point this out. For example, we read in John 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Again, this is an amazing sacrifice. God loves mankind so much that he let his son go to the cross and die for our sins. And also in 1 John 4 and verse 78, Beloved, let us love one another, for God is love. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, I understand there are many people who do not believe this, as we read about God's eliminating many people during the history of the earth. However, if we really study the passages and the context that speak about these events, we will see that it has been for the benefit of mankind that these things have happened. I believe a good example of this is the war that in heaven that Satan started. God, God could have eliminated Satan and his evil angels, but instead he cast them out of heaven, hoping perhaps that they would realize the wonderful life he had given up and repent of their evil. It's interesting, the statement, God is love. Now, love is one of those words which can be used as both a noun or a verb. So to use, just to uh, use a common phrase, uh, I love my wife, there it is as a verb, and we share our love to each other. There it is as a noun. So this word, God is love, and of course, God does love. All right, well, let's move on. Now, that's the nature of God. God is love. Everything God does is out of a motive of love. He can't do anything else because he is love. And in the uh, history of the Israelites, Joe, can you recall some instances where God treated the people with love and compassion during their exodus from Egypt. Well, there are many, there are many things that God did for them. The obvious ones that come to mind are manna, providing the manna on a daily basis, meat, even meat when they demanded it, a constant supply of water, a pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. The Bible says that and I found at least at least three occasions that their clothes did not wear out 
in Deuteronomy tells us uh, that for 40 years I led you in the wilderness, yet your clothes and sandals did not wear out. So this is, I would think, a great kindness. I wouldn't want to be walking in the hot sand without shoes. And in Nehemiah, it goes even so far to say as that their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. So clearly, um, walking in that hot sand, they were protected from all the adversities that the desert had to offer. They were protected from snakes, um, from all sorts of pestilence. I guess um, God ministered to all their physical needs, you could say, but and he also provided, he tried to provide for their spiritual needs as they were willing. Um, he opened the heaven for them and um, it was up to them to accept. And we know that they had struggles in the spiritual department, but God certainly provided for every need that they had. Joe, would you say that God could be considered as a sugar daddy? I think dad, uh, God could be considered a sugar daddy, but it's also it's the state of one's own heart, you know, whether you consider God a sugar daddy or whether you consider him your loving father. So I guess the perception is um, subjective. You know what I mean? I guess there are people who think that God um, gives his love without restriction, if I can put it that way. But, of course, God requires something from us in return. We'll talk about this in a few moments. Nick, you wanted to share something. Yes, Len, uh, uh, just on this aspect, uh, sugar daddy, or uh, you talk about God is love or God is loving, we have to keep in mind also, particularly when we are looking in the Old Testament, like we, we are going to dig deep a little bit more into the book of Deuteronomy, but particularly in the Old Testament, there is a lots of acts of God, which some people may interpret it as um, very tough, you know, not necessarily showing that sugar daddy, you know, the, the love of God, but as our father, as our loving father, as we call God, God is just. God in everything what he does reflects his character, which is love. Even when some things come upon us which we don't like them, we are not seeing God only being portrayed of doing everything just to be very, very uh, good. There's a lot of discipline with uh, God. And many people will... Uh, regard God even as a, a dictator sometime or like a, just a harsh, harsh God. Many people who don't believe in God, they will come with that excuse. How can you love God who allowed to be killed so many people or who allowed to happen this or that? I think that's very yeah, relative to, to have an opinion about God in that way. Yes, what I was driving at with that question to Joe I think some people have the idea that God never says no. They think that God only says yes. But in Exodus chapter 34, there's a reference where God speaks about himself. This is in verse 6 and on. It says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, 
maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Then comes a word which puts a different aspect on it. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. So there is a limit to God's love, but while we continue to uh, respond to God in a positive way, his love is always there. But if we do what is wrong, then we can expect to be punished. Now, love is a bit different than force. In Lydia, there's an aspect of love which God gave to mankind right at the beginning of uh, when he made man at creation. Can you elaborate a little bit on this? In regard to love, we all know that God is love. And um, these three words uh, in English, um, which are four in Greek, they have very deep meanings and very profound that we can barely grasp um, its implications. God is love. Love is the essence of God's identity himself. He rules all of his creation and his government through love. And love, his divine love, permits to the, the cosmos and his creation. And it's very, it's very deep for us to grasp and understand because we are, we are fallen humanity. We are living in sin. We are very sinful and we cannot grasp comprehensively what, what love in God is. So, but in his uh, divine love, he, he didn't act as a ruler or a dictator to impose love. But he gave free choice to his creatures. And uh, um, the risk involved there uh, of this free choice is that love uh, cannot be reciprocated, cannot be received back. And uh, God is saying to us, love me, keep my commandments because I loved you first. But you know, this is a free choice. It's up to individual if they want to love God or no. And I think, as you read before in Exodus 34, verse 6, God is a compassionate uh, God creator. And it's amazing. Yes, that's a very important point, which we must not overlook, that a principle of love is giving free choice. If there is no free choice, there is force, and force is not love. And you were talking about the fact that loved back to God is not always reciprocated. And in the Bible, in uh, three main references, that's Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 15, and in Ezekiel 28, 15, we read about what actually happened in heaven. Now, it's hard to understand that in a perfect environment where there was no sin because of pride chose to oppose God, and that was Lucifer. And I guess for a while he was tolerated, but he was causing havoc in heaven and he had to be forced out with a number of angels, probably about a third of the angels, 
and he came down here to this earth and he was responsible for original sin with mankind. So what happened as a result of um, Lucifer's rebellion, Will? The Bible tells us in Revelation 12 that war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. These three verses from Revelation 12 give us quite a lot of background to the rebellion in heaven. Of course, what happened after that is that Satan's appearance on earth with uh, the rebellious purpose of leading mankind away from their serving their creator God. And it was that fall that introduced sin and uh, the tragic results we see all too much in our world today. His bold approach was to tempt the first human couple to disobey God and uh, doubt his word. And, of course, the resultant lapse into sin corrupted their nature and they became self-serving. In Genesis chapter 3, we're directed to events in the Garden of Eden. It gives us an overview of how Satan became, to quote Jesus' words, the prince of this world. Now transgression brought not only separation from God, but resulted in untold tragedy and heartache in this world. We can all attest to that. Evil and selfishness became so widespread that it led to the eradication of the world's population by a worldwide flood. Subsequently, the nucleus or the seed of the human family from that generation on would be from the family of Noah, saved by God's grace from the destruction of the world by water. Now, God would hereby wish to establish a special people to himself uh, through succeeding generations from Noah. But, alas, human nature got in the way again. Thank you for that um, history lesson, a history lesson about God and humanity and how sin came into this world. And we know from experience that sin is a big problem in the world today and it has been for a long time. Now, Will made reference to Noah and why God called Noah. But, Nick, this applies to another Old Testament character, Abraham. Now, many people, including the Muslims and the Jews, trace their history back to Abraham. Now, why did God call Abraham, Nick? Yes, Lynn, uh, that's a very good question because... Um as you mentioned about other characters in the Bible, Abraham is a very well-known and regarded person, not only by the Christians, but by many other non-Christians, like Jewish and even Muslims. But just before I will say something about Abraham, I want to just mention, Len, what you said a bit earlier in regard to God's attitude towards Lucifer and how will also expanded on that. Because uh, you mentioned Lynn, that, yeah, probably for a period of time, God just 
turn uh, to say so a uh, blind eye you know what i believe god gave lucifer sufficient time and was reasoning with lucifer for th- that period of time because it would not uh, make sense that god will say okay um, i'll i'll just ignore what's happening god cannot ignore for one moment what's happening in the, this world in this universe but he gives enough time for everything to come to fruition and uh, in that case i was just thinking that's what i'm i'm lingering a bit on on that aspect if god would have cast satan straight after his you know rebellion down to earth or whatever you may not have even a third of the angels being deceived by satan and that was a result again of free choice which was mentioned a bit earlier now coming back to abraham we can look at this story in genesis chapter 12 and if i could read this few verses len genesis 12 verses 1 to 3 now the lord had said to abraham or to abram get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that i will show you i will make you a great nation i will bless you and make your name great you shall be a blessing i will bless those who bless you and i will curse him who curses you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed first of all interesting here len it's an invitation from god come out of your culture background family whatever and i will bless you because i want you to be my representative if you like and all the people on this earth will be blessed in you and you will be a blessing for them now if abraham will hesitate to answer god's invitation and god's call imagine the implication and the results of god's blessings because god promised abraham he said i want through you to bless all the people and who will curse you those people i will curse also because you know when god chooses his people he gives at the same time either blessings or curses that's why it's very important how we relate to those people who are representing god on earth or who are teaching god's law god's character as we we talking today here it's very important not to be ignorant but to regard high regard if you like those people who put their life on the line for god and many people they are doing even today are suffering because of the truth of the bible suffering persecution and so on and so forth abraham case i believe it's a very good one because uh, later on we probably may come to this in the next studies that even us today after so many thousands of years we are called to be children of abraham grafted if you like in abraham even if not by blood but by faith in god Now just before Lydia speaks I would just like to pose a question a challenge really um uh, God called Abraham to be a blessing to the peoples of the earth he separated him to have what I would call a righteous line of people through Abraham 
But the question occurs to me, am I a blessing? Are you a blessing to others? And listeners, this applies to you. Are you a blessing to other people? Now, Lydia? I would like to add to whatever Nick said. The call of uh, Abram, which later became Abraham, he was called to to be separated from pagan influences and become the father of a righteous God-fearing. So, first of all, he was chosen by God to be his people's leader, representing God, also to be God's representant, to preserve um, God's knowledge of truth, that is knowledge of him, which is Yahweh, and the plan of salvation, and also to spread God's knowledge to the rest of the world. So to make known the true God through other nations. So this was the, the meaning of Abraham's calling. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on. God's promise that Abraham's descendants would become very numerous was fulfilled. However, initially, because of a prolonged widespread drought, the Hebrews had to move from their country to Egypt, where later they were forced into slavery. God used Moses to liberate them from Egypt to inherit the land Canaan that God promised they could occupy. After over 400 years and some supernatural events, the king of Egypt, that's the pharaoh, finally let the people go. Job. During their exodus across the desert regions over which the Hebrews had to travel, they arrived at the wilderness of Sinai. There God spoke to Moses. Now, would you like to uh, share with us about this particular event? Certainly. Our passage comes from Exodus 19, 2-6. However, I don't think there's any point in reading all of it. It just um, goes, it says that they departed from Rephidim, and in Rephidim that was where they ran out of water and were angrily demanding Moses to give them water. And then the Amalekites attacked them um, while they were camped there and they were defeated. That is the Amalekites, not the Israelites. So they journey onto the wilderness of Sinai and camp, camp there before the mountain. Now in verse 3 it says, And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. God announced that these people would be special and there was a a condition and it was if, and it's if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. Now, a special treasure, a special treasure above all people. Now, this referred to the king's very, his own personal treasure. It says, for all the earth is mine. This whole world is his, but they were to be a very special, a very personal treasure to him. And it was if 
you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. Now, this would imply, Lynn, that they would have to be the real deal, not a half-hearted um, obedience and occasional obedience, not a promise of obedience or a profession of obedience. God has shown them love in action, not just in words or promises, and therefore it would appear that what was required was real obedience. If we refer back to the passage that we just read, the requirement was if you indeed obey my voice. Now, the NIV says, if you obey me fully. But this is not something, of course, that we can generate in and of ourselves. So um, this is a gift of God. Um, so this is uh, the question was, it says God announced that this people would be a special people if. And the if is if they will obey my voice and keep my covenant. Okay, now this is talking about a group of people a number of thousands of years ago. Does that statement of God in wanting those people as his special people have any relevance to today, Ken? Yes, Liam, uh, I believe it's it's very important to understand what the Bible tells us, especially about the times we live in. We read in Matthew 24 and verse 37, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. I won't read the whole thing, but this is very, very important. And then we look at First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 to 10, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light, who once were not a people, are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And I'd also like to add a very important voice, a verse, I believe, in Malachi 3 and verse 6. For I am the Lord, I change not. It is so important to understand that God wants us to be his special people, keeping the commandments and living to serve others, especially in sharing the gospel message as we see the return of Jesus approaching. Yes, I believe what you said there is very important, Ken. God's special people are those people who keep his commandments. So, Nick, you want to say something here? I just want to add the land that is very significant, very important to apply in our life, for our times. These teachings from uh, the book of Deuteronomy, because um, we can call it the present truth, applying for us all today. In the case of Moses, when um, God in, you know, invited him to go on the mountain and to receive from him uh, guidance, the law as we know it. But later on, even before the people of Israel, they were about to enter Canaan, Moses had a, a number of speeches to remind them again about that God to whom they rebelled. And I would like to just mention this thing, because in Deuteronomy chapter 4, uh, verses 5, 6, uh, it talks about that, that God wants to see wisdom and understanding in God's people. But it's interesting that that doesn't refer to the law which was given, but as Joe pointed out, refers to the obedience. If we are obedient 
to God and his laws, then we are called to be wise, to have understanding and uh, to be before many people or the nations as a special or separate or set aside, if you like, people, that people can look at at, uh, God's people and say, are they not those ones who fear the living God? And that's probably the, the question which we should ask ourselves. How do we represent God? Are the people out there who don't know God looking at us, at us and saying, wow, these people have something special and they must have somebody special who leads them? So really, what applied back in the times that we were talking about also applies to this day and age. You were talking about the commandments. Ken, where do we find God's covenant with the people? In other words, the Ten Commandments? Well, Len, you can find these in Exodus chapter 20, and uh, starting at uh, verse 3 to 17. And these are obviously the Ten Commandments that we're speaking about. And the first four of these are dealing with our relationship with God, and the last six are dealing with our relationship with other mankind. And I think when you look at these commandments, they're absolutely beautiful. And really, when you think about it very deeply, the commandments are there, not for God's benefit, but for man's benefit. And I often think to myself, looking around the world today, if only we kept the second commandment, how the world would be different, because obviously the second commandment is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All right. Now, the commandments have been done away with, haven't they, Will? And then the Bible itself uh, should talk on this topic. It says uh, in First John 5, verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. You know, speaking about Satan warring against the law-abiding people, God's church in the last days, the Bible says, And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. Notice the characteristic here. The people who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. It's clear, Len, that the Bible emphasizes the centrality of the law of God in the Christian life. And while we should resolve resolve to obey everything the Lord has said that we should do, history tells us that Though we promise, we are prone to forsake our commitment to the commandments for our own selfish reasons. Okay, now, I've met quite a number of people who've said, well, the commandments were done away with at the cross. But if you read 1 Corinthians 7 verse 19, it says there, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping God's commandments is what counts. And then if you go to 1 John chapter 5, it says very similar that it's important to keep God's commandments because God's commandments are an expression of God, of his character. They have never been done away with. All right, well, Lydia, at the beginning of today's discussion, we noted that God's key characteristic is love. How is love returned to God demonstrated by us? We have a beautiful text in John fourteen fifteen. It says, 
if you love me, you will obey what I command. So it's, it comes naturally. I mean, if you love a person, you show to that person acceptance. If you love God, you'll obey God in not, not in a way of being imposed, but it comes with free will. So it's, it comes very easy. If you love a person, you just accept whatever the person says. If you love God, obey, obey God, obey his commandments. Because his commandments are for our good and for our happiness. Now, in our house, we have a dishwasher. And we got a dishwasher because we uh, redesigned the kitchen. And I said to my wife, well, if I get a dishwasher, I probably won't need to help wipe the dishes. Well, she smiled. But if she asked me to do something, for example, if a light globe needs changing, and if she says to me, Len, would you mind changing the light globe? And I say, go jump. What does that demonstrate? It demonstrates I don't love her. But if I do it willingly, it demonstrates that I love her. And so obedience basically is an expression of love. Now, Nick, I know that you have a beautiful passage from the book Ministry of Healing on page 470, and it talks about Christianity and what it looks like. Would you like to share that passage with us? Sure, Len, and uh, even more in the context we live in terms of healing and uh, sickness and uh, uh, the trauma which this pandemic brings all around the world. I think this is very significant. I mean, to read a passage uh, like this from the uh, Ministry of Healing. And by the way, I would like to encourage anyone who's listening today, if you don't have this book, just contact us, please. And we'll be more than happy to uh, provide you with this wonderful, wonderful book. Every house should have this book, The Ministry of Healing. It's, it's a, an amazing book. But let me just uh, read just this quote from, from the book. The badge of Christianity is not an outward sign, not the wearing of a cross or a crown, but it is that which reveals the union of man with God by the power of his grace manifested in the transformation of character, the world is to be convinced that God has sent his son as its redeemer. No other influence that can surround the human soul has such a power as the influence of an unselfish life. The strongest argument in favor of the gospel is a loving and lovable Christian. Christians today, Len and panel and listener, may want to show in various ways that they are Christians. And as it says this quote a bit earlier, it's not just by the way what you wear. You may wear a cross or you may uh, wear some whatever, a necklace uh, with, with something or even uh, earrings or whatever you, you put on your self-exterior. That's not what shows how you love God. 
It's about your attitude. I remember a song. I'm not sure if it's in English also, but it says, the cross I wear proudly is not on my chest, but it's in my heart. And we should show that around that we are changed because of the healing process of Jesus who died for us, who suffered for us on the cross, change our life from inwards out rather than to just pretend that we are Christians and then do all the things which people are pointing to us. If that's um, a Christian and they serve a God like that, I don't want to know that God. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, I think it's very important what you've said there. Be a loving and lovable person is probably the greatest sign of a Christian, greatest badge. It's it, the things that we do and say and how we speak and how we act to others is very important. So now coming back to love to God, can how far does it go? How far does our love to God go? Well, Len, this, this is a really interesting question. In Mark 12, verses 30 to 31, it says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, some people may wonder why God wants us to love him with all our being, But think about what God has done and is doing for us. He has forgiven our sins, sent his son to die on behalf of us so we could be reunited to him. He has sent us his Holy Spirit to help and teach us. So in effect, God has given everything he can to bring us back to him. Also, he has built a beautiful home in heaven that will soon, uh, that will suit our likes and he is coming back soon to this earth to take us to his kingdom which he rebuilds the shattered earth before bringing us and the new city to it, to live in the paradise it was in the beginning. So I think it's very easy to understand why God wants our love. And again, it makes the Bible makes it very clear that sin cannot be tolerated. Romans 6.23 says, For the wage of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And also I'd like to point out, Later mentioned earlier on in John 14, verse 15, Jesus himself tells us, if you love me, keep my commandments. And in Matthew 5 and verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. All right. Well, basically what you were saying there is that obedience is evidence of our love to God. Now, in that text that you read, how we should love God with all our this, that, and the other, Joe, what relationship does that verse that Ken read before have to our obedience? It has a very close relationship. Love, that is wholehearted love to others and God, and obedience to God's law is one and the same thing in my mind. This may surprise some, but we can only love others as God works out his love in our own lives. If we love others, we won't steal from them. We won't kill them, be envious of them, Lynn. 
or covet their possessions. We will honour those who love us and indeed all other people, treat them with respect and dignity. So we find that in obeying the law, we find that we are showing love to others and in loving others, we find that we are obeying the law. Is there a relationship? I would say that they were inextricably linked. We cannot claim to love others and indeed be loving and cause others pain. The Bible says that we are liars. And I'd like to quote from 1 John 2, 4. It says, whoever says, I know him, and that's referring to God. I know God. I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. Very strong words. Mm. But I find that the answer to wholehearted love is wholehearted obedience. And they are the one and same thing. People like to separate them, but um, they are inseparable. Yes. And I, I think that's very well said. Well, let's go back to Sinai for a little while. Will, um, before God delivered the Ten Commandments and he spoke them and he wrote them with his finger in the table, tablets of stone uh, and Moses delivered the message, how did the people respond at that particular time? The invitation by God is uh, in Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. It says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And verse 8 gives us the response of the people then. Then all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. My question is, how enduring would that promise really be? Uh, perhaps, Joe, you would like to answer that question. Yes, absolutely. Not very long. Not very long at all. They had, uh, they had sworn allegiance to God. And then in a matter of days or perhaps a few weeks, Moses is out of their sight and they had focused on Moses as their leader. And when he had disappeared from their sight, they quickly reverted to their paganism. In fact, they led Aaron into, we know, the story of producing a golden calf, which they wanted to worship. And um, this is your God, O Israel. So I guess the mistake here was that they focused on Moses as their leader, but they didn't see that God was their leader. And I guess this was just a, something that they had to learn with time. It has um, implications for us too. Yes, it's a real shame. All that the Lord says we will do, and then within a space of a short time, days or perhaps a month, here they were going back to their pagan ways. Yes, Nick? What I would like to, to say here, Len, is um, that when Moses went to the mountain, you know, to receive from God, instruction, guidance. The people of Israel, they were also told how to behave, what to do. And I want to make an application for us today. The reason they rebelled and uh, because there was a time, you know, which they didn't know for how long Moses will be there. And they were planning and working with their life in accordance with their own understanding rather than allowing God to lead and direct in his own time. You know how the Bible says that my plans are not your plans. My thoughts are not your thoughts. For us, 
I would like to draw a lesson here today because we can say, and I heard about many people saying that, but it's 2,000 years since Jesus came and died and promised that he will come again and all those things. And many people lose their way because of not waiting patiently for God to fulfill his promise in his time. We are not here to do things to speed up, if you like, God's plan. Now, we can actually, by obedience, we can move the hand of God differently. But if we act in our own you know, ways and attitude, we can work against God's plan, actually. And unfortunately for the people there, there were just days, as you just said, Len, until they rebelled. And that caused them great deal of, of suffering. I guess it's like many people's New Year's resolutions. Yes, I'm going to do this in the new year. 24 hours later, they're back to where they were before. What a shame. Lydia, just a quick answer on this one. How do you think God feels about people who say, yes, I know what is right, but they don't do it? He feels ignored, rejected, and separated from them, effectively, because this uh, implies disobedience, which comes from a lack of trusting in God's word. Yes, I think God feels rather hurt when people say, yes, Lord, I will do that, but they don't. And I guess um, this applies to us too. And we make a promise, make a vow to God, that we should keep it. Well, the Israelites, they um, worship this golden calf, which they were not to worship. Were there any consequences of their rebellion at that time, Nick? All right, Len, I will, I will read um, in uh, Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7 maybe. It says, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving weaknesses, rebellion and sin. However, these people did actually rebel. And if you read in Exodus chapter 32 and verses 26 to 28, you can see that um, the Lord did punish those who did rebel. So, Ken, that happened back then. But are there any consequences now for rebellion, sin and unbelief? In other words, going against what God wants. Yes, the Bible makes it very clear that sin cannot be tolerated. In Romans 6 and verse 23, it tells us, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay. Well, death, of course, is the consequence of sin and rebellion against God. However, Joe, is there any way we can be reconciled to God following our misdemeanors and sins? Thankfully, yes. In Romans 5, 8 to 10, it says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? I think that God knows our weakness and has made provision because in 1 John 1, just very quickly, it says in verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So God has made provision through Christ who died for our sins, but also will purify us from our sins. And uh, he, there's a promise that if we confess, he is faithful, he is just and will forgive and purify. So I think it, there is definitely um, there is definitely a reconciliation and there is hope. So um, there's no need to fear. Yes, that's a message of uh a good message that we need to understand. Now, I just we'll just finish off with Revelation three nineteen here. Will, um, would you like to read that and then perhaps apply it to what we've been talking about today? Certainly, Len. Revelation three verse nineteen says, "Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent." I think that it's important for us in hardship to realize that God may be behind it all. You know, C.S. Lewis once wrote, hardships often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. Just a, a thought here before you close with the remarks there. What I would like to say also here is that looking at this book, Deuteronomies, that's the book actually which calls a king and a kingdom to turn around deeply, and that's the king of Israel, Josiah. This book, which was called also the Book of Covenant, was found in the temple. And when they acknowledged that they don't doing anything what was written down there, they repented. And that was wonderful. This was one of the most uh, successful in the, in the kingdom of Israel, you know, uh, King Josiah was a great king, and the effects of applying in their life what they found and understood was great. My question today is this. Are we considering the word of God, the covenant which God has with us all through Jesus Christ, through the cross, causing us to come to that sort of repentance? And I encourage you, if you like to read in Second Kings, chapter 23, and learn a little bit more about that story and apply in your life. Let's apply in our life today. How can we make a big change and a turn around in our life by looking at the teachings of God through the Bible? The Word of God made a reformation back in that time in Israel's history. The Word of God caused a great reformation in the Middle Ages. And the word of God can cause a great reformation now, if only we will allow it. Listeners, as we work our way through the book of Deuteronomy, 
There is much from the experience of the Israelites to learn about our own relationship with God. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you'll stay with us as we continue even deeper into God's holy word. Ken, would you close with prayer for us today? Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity we've had today to share your wonderful word to many people out there. We thank you, Lord God, that your words are words of life. We thank you, Lord God, the words of knowledge, and they can change anyone's life. We thank you, Lord God, that you have sent the Holy Spirit to all who ask to help them to overcome all things this world may bring upon them. We look forward, Lord God, to that wonderful day when Jesus returns in the near future to take all those home that love him. And we just thank you, Lord God, that we have this wonderful opportunity to share your word regularly about the wonderful words of the Bible. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for your participation today uh, to this uh, wonderful Bible study. And I'll invite uh, you all to join us back again when we are going to look a little bit more into the uh, Moses history lesson. Until then, may God richly bless you and continue to walk in the footsteps of Jesus.